Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we have on Alex Lau, our star staff photographer, uh, going on six years now. A lot of you have asked about the photos in the magazine, how it all comes about, how the shoots are produced, etc., etc. what the life is like of a staff photographer. Uh, so we decided to give you a little peek into Alex's world. I chat with Lau about his career, how he got started at BA, and what it's like to travel around the country and the world, eating and shooting all day, every day. Uh, and then, after that, it's Molly Boz's turn to give us her top 10 cooking rules. All right, guys, let's do this. All right, so, Lau, this is your second time on the pod? Yeah, now I can say I'm a veteran. Okay, yeah. don't hit the table. No no crunchy snacks. No crunchy snacks. No, you- no shaking of the coffee ice. Lau, there are months where, like, weeks will go by where I'm like, where the hell is Lau? I mean, I literally don't know where you are. I will not have seen you for two weeks. Yeah. Um, that is basically the story of my life. Sometimes I don't even know where I am. I'll wake up in, in a hotel. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in New York. I'm like, no, I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh, no, now I'm in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we'll talk about a few issues in your job in general, but in our travel issue that came out in May. So mm-hmm. you shot almost the entire feature well? Yeah. This is May 2019. You were in Beirut with Andy Baragani. Correct. And then you, I'm just flipping through the pages, then you were in Taipei with Suli and also Baragani? And Andy. Andy wanted to tag along for everything. So, and that was a big photo portfolio yeah. of yours. You shot an Allison Roman spring break menu story. That was just in New York? Yeah, that was here in the building. Yeah. Here in the building. That, that was just a basic recipe story. And then you shot photos for our red sauce america package which brought you where did that where all did you go for this one oh man that was a lot i think that was six cities la la philly new orleans oh my god where did i go i mean you literally can't remember yeah it, it, it was like four to five cities i guess my first question is which i think a lot of fans of yours want to know like how do you end up as a staff photographer at a food magazine like ba <laughs> Whenever someone asks me that, I'm like, this is, I'm the worst possible person to ask because it's purely luck and circumstance. And my only goal, and still the only goal, is like, hey, just don't get fired, you know, and spend, (laughs) you know, closing up on year six. And I still get asked to come back every day. And there were definitely um, moments early on where Alex Pollock and Alex Grossman, (laughs) our initial photo department and creative director, were like, I'm going to kill Lau. We made a huge mistake. (laughs) But no, seriously, so you started off as an intern years ago? Yeah. After my freshman year of college, I just wanted to do something with my life and not just go home for the summer to California and, uh, you know, bum around at my parents' house. So I wanted to find an internship. And I've always had a fascination with the magazine world. Applied to a bunch of internships. Nobody got back to me. Um, And like a week before summer started, I saw a posting for Esquire magazine to be a fashion closet intern. Oh. And I was like, that sounds cool. That sounds way out of my reach. I yeah. am hugely underqualified for that, but I'm going to shoot my shot. And Michael Stefanoff, who was the fashion assistant at the time, got back to me. He was like, when can you come in? Based on what, though? Like, did you have, it what was, was it your was fashion most, background? It was the most underqualified letter ever. It was basically like, hey, <laughs> here's my resume. I was a lifeguard in high school. I was a high school tutor, and I interned at the State House in Massachusetts in politics, nothing related to magazines. But I really love menswear, and here's like my favorite menswear bl- uh, blogs, and here's my favorite brands. Uh, I like fashion, and I can work hard. 
and he got back to me. Can I just say that uh, a lot of times when I talk to young people who are just out of college and they're writing, you know, letters to inquire about a job and they read like they're written by a law firm, I'm always like, just (laughs) literally be yourself. Like, be passionate sort of expose yourself so to speak but like that's what's going to grab some somebody's attention 100 i i think the way i structured the letter wasn't like the formal like hi my name is alex i'm inquiring i'm like hey my name is alex i'm really excited about this i know i'm not meant for this gig but i will do whatever it takes to make it happen so i was just fortunate they took a chance on me and that kind of was my segue into the new york city magazine publishing world and it, it turns out it's like having Esquire on your uh, resume just opens up a lot of doors. But it was great. It was just my, I was like 18 years old. Uh, I didn't get paid, but I got to see how magazines work. I got to be on fashion shoots. I got to meet like Justin Timberlake and um, Ryan Gosling and wow. you know, pull like, you know, hold $14,000 jackets and look at Nick Sullivan and Who's who's the editor in chief at Esquire at the time? Granger. It was, it was David Granger. David, David Granger just like yeah. talk shop and I'm like this is amazing. This is legendary, and that made me really want to stick with it. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so internship at Esquire. How then does that lead you to BA? Um, so after that, I was convinced that I wanted to you know stay in publishing or like fashion, menswear. I ended up at Nylon Guys, GQ for a little bit, Complex, uh, Four Pins. Wow. So. I was very much in that circuit as like an intern, you know, just doing minimal, you know, intern work. But after after a couple of years, I was just like, this is not really what's my end goal here. I don't I don't want to be a stylist. I don't want to be a fashion writer. The idea of being a photographer in fashion was just, you know, I, I didn't even consider it. like that's not going to happen. Um, so after this is my third. Yeah. So approaching my third year of college, I, I, I interned at a bunch of or applied to a bunch of other internships. Again, nobody got back to me. <laughs> Despite actually this time ha- being more yeah. qualified and having a lot of magazines in my roster. I think I applied to like, yeah, a couple of uh, magazines that will not be noted, but they're, they're, they're okay. And they just didn't get back to me. And I saw a posting for Bon Appetit photo internship. And I was like, I know nothing about food. I like pictures. Um, I, 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 you know, I took photo classes in high school and college. So how active of a photographer were you at this point? It's, it's like n- not active. I don't know. I, I I took a lot of pictures in high school. I had my own like Flickr account. I uh-huh. uh, okay. So you you were you were you were definitely interested in it at least. In yeah. Sort of, yeah. I, I took pictures of the school paper and stuff like okay. that. I, I I was a you know an avid hobbyist as so a then, teenager. So do you did you come in an interview? Like what got you the job ultimately? Um. So. I went in again. Like it was, it's always like a last minute call in. And I showed up uh, from Boston, and uh, I met with Jake Ramoser, our fo- former photo assistant. Um, and he he gave me a talk, and he was like, "Hey, so turn yeah, looks like you've worked a lot of magazines. Um, you have zero photo experience, and you have zero uh, food experience. So you're pretty underqualified. But honestly, you're the only person here that's I've interviewed that's worked at large publications. So we're gonna go with you." So that was basically it. It was it was basically oh, hey hey you're you've worked at reputable places so we'll hire you. Yeah, I, I do think that's interesting career wise. Like, um, I mean, over the years I've I've worked at James Beard Foundation and Time Out in New York in the foods sphere. Then GQ got more to the fashion thing. Then came back to food. I was a sports writer in college. Like, 
it is you can move around and i think one thing that editors and employers look for is that you do have experience in a particular field and that you know how to get stuff done that you know under you understand what the industry requires but within that sort of industry you can shoot food you can shoot you know people you can do all these things it's not you don't have to just be in one lane 100% i think at the time i was taking some classes and i was also uh, i was studying pr- uh, print journalism at the time yeah and i remember talking about that with Jake and he was like oh this is a plus because you kind of understand uh, writing and photography on some level so we'll run with this so you did an internship summer internship a year or so later we ended up hiring you as a photo assistant no No. so so I I did the (laughs) summer internship and I was like this is way better than working in fashion everyone's so much nicer yeah yeah it it was a great time and I was like in order for me to want to stay in this world I can see I need to shift from fashion to food media. So then I went back to Boston for my senior year. And as I, as I left, uh, Alex Pollock, the photo director at the time was like, Hey, we loved you. You're great. Just reach out when you're, when you're uh, graduating and we can like maybe keep you, keep you, uh, have you come back. So I would always send emails and I, I would just like, Hey, you know, just, you know, I'm graduating in like three months, three, four months. I would love to come talk about, you know, like a photo editor assistant role did you in the interim year were you working on shooting things increase your portfolio to share with alex to say like hey i just want to i've been shooting a lot take a look at my stuff yes so thankfully because of my time at bon appetit i went over to boston magazine for my senior year of college and i ended up being a digital intern which basically means i was just doing every anything and everything for the website dude you're like the intern king yeah yeah i remember like being so proud and like 20 years old i'm like i've got years of intern experience i haven't been paid for any of them but you know i've seen some stuff um, like that really was my 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 pride and joy um but at that point i've worked in a lot of places and uh they hired me on as a digital intern and they also gave me the ability to do photo take pictures and do have my own bylines it's also interesting once a lot of times when you get your foot in the door somewhere the the brand or the magazine or whatever like, they need people to do stuff and yes. they're like oh you can go okay we'll trust you and if, yeah. and if there's something trustworthy about you then people are like all right go give this a shot yeah. and if you could do it well like cool keep doing it i'm also really thankful that it was um a web internship versus print because you know, obviously no one's gonna give any intern a print byline yeah um Whereas, like you know, it's much uh, lower risk to to just hey make something for web, and if it's really good, we'll we'll publish it. And if not, we won't publish it, and no one will ever care about it. It's low budget, um, so it was very. It just gave me a lot more freedom, and they knew that I worked at a food magazine before. It's like okay, so you know how to take pictures of food. You were a photo intern. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I saw Marcus Nelson do like an overhead shot of something by a window, so I can do that. How hard can it be? Yeah, it's like it's not that bad. <laughs> so I mean, like I I did it, and they would. It was really cool. I mean, they sent me, they're like, okay, so we'll just have you do, do rest, restaurants. So they would send me like once a week and shoot for four restaurants a week and just shoot it for their website. So um, who was giving you guidance about photo style at that point or like what kind of shots they wanted from the restaurants? Nobody. <laughs> really? They just assumed you knew what you were doing. The funny thing is I applied to Boston Magazine to be a photo intern because yeah. I want to continue that path, that track of being working photo departments, but they they didn't want me. <laughs> um, but then the digital uh, department got back to me. I didn't really have communication with the photo director at the magazine, so it was just kind of me and 
our digital editor who would just send me out. I was like, oh, this looks good. This looks close enough to Bon Appetit. And it's like an overhead shot, soft light. And like, um, keep doing this. And I would just bike around Boston and go to a bunch of restaurants that our digital uh, restaurant editor, Chris Hughes, covered. And um, yeah, it was, it was really good training. It's really good training. I, I, I'd, uh, looking back, it was a really great opportunity. Like, just being able to go in and practice and shoot restaurants for relatively low risk and have that be an internship it just set up a great base so I then i shot all these restaurants and as i was shooting i would send all this stuff to alex pollock oh, i'm like cool. hey just want to update you with my portfolio like I'm, I, I shoot now uh, in addition to having photo experience so just want to let you know this is what i'm doing this is what i'm up to no response uh, <laughs> and i would like follow up I'm like hey just check in see what the situation is no response so I, throughout the course of the year Never got an email back. I called a couple times. I showed up to Four Times Square once, and I was like, "Hey, is Alex Pollock here?" You just showed up. I just showed up. <laughs> oh my god! Which I realized, like looking back now, it's like knowing like yeah. what I do now. I was like that's a terrible idea. No one's gonna <laughs> respond if you just show up out of the blue. <laughs> I asked the security guard. I'm like, "Oh, can I meet with Alex Pollock?" Like she's not answering her phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Um, so I never heard back from her. Um, but I would still email her, just like it's just like literally throwing a bottle in the ocean. I'm like, it's, that is it's, the worst feeling. I, I remember when I was graduating college from Cal, I became obsessed with working in fashion. Yeah, and I really wanted to work at Elle magazine because that's like a girlfriend or whoever yeah. would read. And I remember sending someone like all these letters, and she would never get back to me. And then finally, Jen Wiesel. And who I got to know over the years later, she I got a call. It's like, hey, Adam, this is Jen Rizel from Elle magazine. Um, first of all, the only reason I'm calling you <laughs> is because um, you wrote an article about my boyfriend's band for your school paper. <laughs> so I was like half interested. Anyway, so I went to this whole thing, did yeah. not get the job. Yeah. But I was like, you know, you fixate on moving to the big city and yeah. getting a job and you get consumed by that and it doesn't always work out like you want it to but i do think the important thing is that you have that desire and drive to go do it absolutely yeah and and um i think when i was you know in college at the time i was really confused like why don't people respond to my emails i'm sending a request just respond and but now like now that i you know do what i do and i work in this magazine i kind of get it it's like you get a lot of these emails and like they pile up yeah and like it's it's kind of bottom priority unfortunately but so so eventually we brought you on yeah. as like a junior editor photo mm -hmm. person so over the years this is now six years later yeah, in, yeah. In, May, in May, next May, it'll be six years, so it's like um, five and a half years. And you are, if I may, our star photographer now. Uh, <laughs> you. you're, but that also means, um, it means a lot of work. Yes. Let's fast forward to our Best New Restaurants issue, which just came out. The Hot 10, 10 Best New Restaurants in America, you shot six of them. You shot Conby, the number one restaurant in L.A. Hey, Akira. <laughs> Cow Noodle Shop in Dallas, Elysian Bar in New Orleans, Copatium in New York, Comptoir du Vin in Baltimore, and Wolf's Taylor in Denver. Yes. And you shot all this like in two weeks or something? I think it was maybe not even. Yeah, I think like it was days. two weeks with a little like break. So maybe a little under two weeks of shooting. So, yeah. so this was essentially you and Michelle Outlin, our creative director. Correct yes. on the road together, like a like you're like the White Stripes or something. We're a band, yeah. yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. and so how does that work? I mean, is it just like you're just like, hey, you show up at the restaurant and we're supposed to be here, and maybe they know you're coming or don't, or like, is it disorganized? How organized is it? Um, I think people tend to have a perception that like all of my shoots are, you know, like thirty people on set, massive production, so many lights, and like lots of hustle and bustle. But it's like realistically, it's me and Michelle 
in a rental car driving in Dallas and showing up to like, hey, you know, uh, our photo editor emailed about this shoot that we're doing. We'll just be here for today and tomorrow. Uh, we just got to do a couple shots. And like, it, it's <laughs> it's just shooting in restaurants is really weird and shooting from studio. It's like you're, you're first of all, in a new city. Uh, secondly, you're in someone's space. Yeah. So it's like, this is not your comfort zone. And you're, you have and, to and work you're, around them. And you're often shooting with the flash. Yes. Which I'm sure they don't like. Almost always, nobody likes my flash. You did the amazing, one of my favorite Lao photos ever is when we did a uh, Mission Burrito story a few years back, and you shot that one dude at the burrito store, and he's had his hand up, like hand in your face. He like, was like covering his Talk face. to the hand. He's like, yeah. don't even do this. And I was like, I'm going to keep shooting, man. I got to get this shot. It, with this like sort of um, your your tag team, you and Michelle, is she the one who's trying to smooth talk the owners to being like, hey, it's cool, just let us do this, or are you chatting, or how does that negotiation work? It's a little bit of both, and then sometimes before is she the bad good cop and you're the bad cop? No, I no. mean, hmm, more than always, she's a good cop. It, it's it's generally more of a two double good cop situation because like you just got to go in and schmooze everybody. Yeah. There have been a couple of times, uh, not for the restaurant shoot, but for uh, other travel shoots where I would like park my car. There's one time I, I went to park my car, and uh, as I'm walking back, I dropped off Michelle, and Michelle calls me. He's like, hey. And I'm like, what's up? She's like, this is just the current situation. I just wanted to let you know the people in here are very mean. Uh, I'm like, what? And she's like, I gotta go. <laughs> so then I roll up to the restaurant, and I, I, as I was walking, I'm like, okay, I gotta lay on the charm thick. We mm-hmm. just gotta play real nice. It's it's a lot of managing personalities, and you just really never know what's gonna happen. How did that shoot go? It went okay. We, re- we made that work. What restaurant was it? We can't <laughs> say it. I was like, don't say it on here. Why not? We already shot it. It was. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it was a. Uh, was it? I think it was Dantana's in in L.A. Oh well, yeah, they're not mean; they're just tough. Dantana's. It was just God. A, God bless Dantana's. You know, they're like, yeah, you they gotta, don't they don't need the publicity. No, you know, like they're not impressed. No, they've got like Jerry West coming in yeah. there. You know, and Magic Johnson. They don't need Alex Lau. They, they don't. They don't know who we are. They don't care who we are. No. But for, I mean, for the most part, all modern current restaurants have been very nice and like hospitable and they um, understand the press game and how yeah. it works and stuff i mean some of them do some of them have a really refined and polished game they have a pr up there and others like this is like their biggest shoot they've used to they're only used to having like local outlets cover them yeah. on the website and they're like oh we don't really know but just do whatever you want so of these six you shot for the best new restaurants issue which of the six was the most challenging and why let me look at this list. Oh man, it's it's very much like you just kind of have to uh, you go through a severe accident. You have to forget everything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I have to look through everything. They were all pretty challenging in their own ways, but at the same time, everything was very pretty. Okay, uh, I, I'm so, so sorry to Comey, but Comey is a very difficult space to shoot. It's in LA. It's yeah. very long and narrow, and it's never not crowded, as far as no. I can tell. And um. I, I, we we clearly wanted to. I've shot it before, and mm-hmm. I remember going back that first time, and just struggling because it wasn't prepared. It's it's a small space. It's a small narrow space, and there's not. As an aside, know. listeners, um, when Alex Lau is not shooting a gazillion photographs for us, uh, he is a competitive power lifter. Correct. 
So what's your height and weight right now? 5'8", and I'm currently 187 because I'm cutting weight because I'm normally kind of, what's your, heavier. What's your heaviest you get to while competing? Like, what? Oh, while competing, I'm light. But when oh. I'm training, I'm like 197. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say you're a bull to try to shop at times, but you have developed a reputation for sometimes bumping into things or i think even if i weighed 130 pounds i'd still constantly bump into things i i, I think i think the size has nothing to do with it <laughs> i think that's something to do with it but <laughs> it, it raises the margin of error but i imagine we, we have a camera up to your face and you're not necessarily aware of what's behind you or to the side and you're kind of knocking into you know yeah i mean like for for this travel issue in beirut i i first of all i was the sickest I've ever been. I, I had that, I've never done a shoot so sick. I had like terrible food poisoning or something. Oh, okay. My body was ache, so I was like going to the bathroom every five minutes. But also, <laughs> we were just doing a shot for a specific dish, and we were in some like very nice man's house, like a very fancy mansion. And I was standing on a terrazzo, and I was a shooting- table. A table. It was a table in the backyard. Okay. And I remember like getting the shot and Michelle was like, Don't 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 stand on that. Don't stand. I'm like I'm like, Michelle, you want this shot, we gotta do it. And I stand in within like maybe two minutes I hear crack. Oh god. And I just split the whole marble. To be fair, it was thin and long. <laughs> you were standing on a table. <laughs> and uh so we shattered a marble thing and it thankfully wasn't a super important surface, but um the the Lebanese maids who didn't speak English were laughing at me and just like pointing at me and then like 10 minutes later they're saging the whole place because of me <laughs> oh my god <laughs> wow okay so they, so conby you're in there the two chef owners who are both very focused guys nick and akira are very like dialed in were they putting up with bros. you or were they just like dude come on no i i've met akira and nick before and, and they're they're pretty accommodating um very nice but it's more so just like the space and i'm sure mm -hmm. they're aware of this it's like a very narrow space and there's not a lot of what i look for in, when shooting a restaurant is like maybe like variation in surfaces yeah so i can shoot on different things so like the food can look you know we don't want it all on one table mm -hmm. um so it, it's not a lot of types of surfaces and sandwiches are hard to shoot i don't think people know yeah, that because you gotta you can't do them from top down you gotta yeah. get them from the side in yeah sandwiches I mean, are but have you learned over the years to be I don't want want to say necessarily pushy, but to be sort of firm in, in terms of what you need in order to get a shot. Sure. Yeah, you kind of like have to steamroll them with kindness. And I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, they don't want to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I won't be like, we need to do this because, you know, it's their place and their business. So I don't want to be rude or anything. But yeah, there are times you just kind of like, hey, I just want to really want to ask you, would it be possible to get this specific shot during this specific time, uh, given these parameters? And like if they'll be like kind of not okay with it, I'll ask again. I'm like, yeah, but we really need this shot. Like I think for this story it would look great. More often than not, they'll oblige. But if they say no, then I'm like, okay, they they really can't do this. Yeah. So it's fine. What about customers? How often do people are people like, you know what? I, I'd rather not have my photo taken. The funny thing is, whenever I'm shooting interiors and customers, the people that come up to me and say they don't want to be photographed are the people I'm not even photographing. <laughs> I'm like, so like my when when that happens, I'm like, I'm not even. I don't want to photograph you. One number yeah. two, you're not being photographed. So please don't worry. Is it true you now get recognized as Alex Lau when you're on on location? <sighs> Yes, it's very, uh, it's weird. It's really weird because, like, I kind of get it when our the our coworkers on staff who are on YouTube and on the videos yeah. get recognized because they have a lot more exposure. But when people come to me, like, I, I think I, I got off a plane in Denver with Michelle, and uh, some guy immediately came up to me and Michelle and, like, Mr. Lau, 
No. I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you like, you're like, are you security? What's going yeah, on here? And he was like, bon appetit. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I love your work, man. And he gave no me a handshake. Way. And I'm like, how do you know? How do you know? Like, I don't post pictures of myself. This maybe, is... maybe he's into weightlifting also. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Power, I, power lifting or weightlifting? What do we call it? So it's powerlifting. Power weightlifting lifting. is a whole other. Weightlifting is what thing. I do at Equinox. Weightlifting is what you see in the Olympics, where like they push it over your head. Oh, yeah. And what, what do you do then? So power the, powerlifting is like squat, bench pressing, deadlift. Weightlifting is the clean and jerk and the snatch. Wow, did you know that, Emma? But you wear the same like singlets and back belt and stuff. Kinda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's just what you do with the weights once you're picking them up. Correct. So what do I do at the gym? I just like you, you, do some curls. You're doing a lot of bodybuilding, man. Yeah, I wouldn't call you're getting it that. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to keep above, keep my head above water. Yeah. When was the last time you missed a flight? Oh, this was like a month ago, <laughs> or it was during Hot Ten. We were headed from New Orleans. No, we were from Dallas to Denver. The thing is, like, I'm generally pretty good with not missing flights, but I also and notoriously cut it close to flights. Like, I'm not that type of person that shows up three hours early for a flight. Like, I will, like, oh, my flight's at 11. Let's get there, like, 9.59, maybe 10.10. I have clear. I have pre-check because I know I'm going to run things late. I've gotten better with it. I've gotten a little better with it, but... It's okay. I, I can generally be late to JFK because I know the whole infrastructure and setup. We shot to Dallas uh, for our flight, or we started driving, and we realized that, like, you know, when you go to an airport and you show up, and they're like, okay, you can check in. Now you need to take four trains. You need to take one train to oh, this God, terminal yeah, and that yeah, terminal. Yeah, yeah. And oh, and also your gates all the way at the end of this terminal, Dan, and they're just like, you're not going to make it. So you've done a lot of travel slash restaurant photography in the last couple of years for mm-hmm. us, as, as I think you've sort of graduated to this role as sort of prime photographer and you're doing a lot of feature well mm-hmm. uh, stories, which are the big stories in the middle of the magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which probably started a few years ago when you really started doing a lot. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think my first one was, I think 2016 when I did the Mission Burrito story, but I didn't really okay. start doing more until probably end of 2017, 2018. So yeah, you'd been on the job for a few years at least before that. But the, the other big part of your job is studio food shoots correct where you also developed a very iconic style of crisp and bright and like is a studio food shoot fun is it tedious i don't know i go walk in there and you're sitting there and you're pressing your button on your computer <laughs> like to click and like i'm like i don't i guess this is cool it, looks, record, it looks great adam has never seen me work on location and then the only times he sees me working is in the studio and i'm set up the way I normally do and it looks like I'm doing nothing which to be fair it does look like I'm doing nothing it looks like you're just hanging out watching YouTube all day in front of a big monitor and like you're just like pressing of whatever what button do you even press on your keyboard there's some YouTube videos but you just need to space it out in between shots it's command K for me okay so just for the listeners to explain he'll have a setup he'll have a a, like a photo on a tripod not tripod it's called a phoba but it's like a large impractical tripod that's a weird word phoba I think it's a it's a abbreviation for something so to get that overhead shot and you have the light set up and so you literally you're not clicking the I'm not camera, pressing the camera myself, like back like, yeah. in a, like in a movie like blow up or something yeah. um you're just at your computer pressing <laughs> command k I'm like I could do that you can you can <laughs> so what the funny thing is like people will think it's like if I go to the bathroom like this, yeah they can keep pressing but like if something goes wrong immediately yeah. Michelle's like I need you I need you now and like but yeah. how, but how okay but but seriously yeah. though how do you obviously you press whether you're clicking a shutter or yeah, pressing sure. a button um it's about the lighting, yeah. the the angle, all those sort of things. How did you work at developing that style, which over time became very clear and 
precise in terms of like, oh, that's a very Alex Lau shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever someone says like, oh, that is Alex Lau, that's a style, I, I still don't really know what that means. Like I often sh- still struggle with like, yeah, what what is something that is indicative of me? Because I think as a staff photographer, uh, you're meant to be much more accommodating of whatever style that is being requested, right? Well, yeah, because um, the, the brand has demands or yeah. you know if it's for basically our website like a basically photo is shot in a certain way so it looks consistent in that vertical mm-hmm. and in the magazine and a bonappetit.com your there wanted to be a certain look that was consistent with the brand but a lot of that look also started with you so it's kind of like you know the the egg or the chicken or the egg sort of sure. thing um, um but yeah i think in terms of you mean like a popular look that was just something i uh, I started doing because it was just a little different from what everyone else was doing at them, but that soft light, mm-hmm. uh, airy look. Um, and when we say soft light, we mean more of kind of like that natural light that if you're out. Kind of like time, if you're right by a window yeah. and it's just like you're getting no your, sunlight. And you're getting your Instagram shot. Correct. And yeah. so there's not hard shadows. It's just mm-hmm. like, ooh, that looks tasty. Yeah. I think I, I think I just started doing it because it was easier to set up for us. Also, it, it, it kind of originated out of laziness and like lack of resources. Like I'd show up to a restaurant and I'm like, I don't really have the space for the softbox, mm-hmm. so I would just use like a light without a softbox. I'm like, oh, that kind of looks cool and different, and I I can kind of control it a little better. So this is it, it, it first formulated out of me like knowing less about lighting and knowing that the, the technical nuances of lighting and I'm like, Oh, but it still looks good. And yeah. it, it has a base for me to work with. But then how much as a young photographer, and you could compare this to being a young athlete, a young writer with mm-hmm. their editors, how much of the development of that style was working with Alex Pollock or Alex Grossman in terms of them sort of giving you feedback or sort of coaching you along? It was a lot. They they were both. I remind them of this whenever I see them. Like Alex Pollock and Alex Grossman were so instrumental of who I am today. You know, they 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 literally turned a clueless intern <laughs> into what I do today. And they're both. You know, they were both so phenomenal. They created an entire were culture and look of the culture. But yeah, they they were. There was a point where I wasn't very good at lighting and like or, or knowing how to shoot, and um, I was a topic of discussion. Like, oh, not this guy's supposed to make our job easier. Instead, he like is coming back with like photos that are out of focus, or this lighting looks bad, or he's not making the food look good. And like, <laughs> I might remember one or, one or two of the out of focus shots from like four years ago. I'm like, wait, is this supposed to be out of focus? <laughs> but you know, they 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 took me from that and. They, they played very uh, tough love on me. And, you know, there was times where I was like, I had a lot of doubts and I wasn't sure if I was cut out for this. But I think that type of uh, teaching, me, I responded very well to that. I'm like, all right, like, I better I better step up my game. Yeah, because we, know? I mean, we, we've joked about when you're on the road that Michelle Atlin is your mom. And mm-hmm. then I think Pollock might have played that role earlier. Pollock on. was much more my mom. Yeah. Well, she was the mom who was like, you need to clean up your drawers. You're like, <laughs> like, literally, you, like, literally. Yeah. Apparently, you, the, we, when, <laughs> when you won a award from National Magazine uh, Association last year, uh, Pollock did a very funny uh, toast about all the things you would find in your chest of drawers, like old, like, uh, what, what are they called? Memory card drives or whatever? Drives. Hard drives yeah. of images. You had a balled up tuxedo in there one time. From, from my first ASME, SPDs. Uh, yeah. SPDs. You had old socks stuffed in there. I had a saxophone in there. Sax, yeah, you also played saxophone. Yeah. And it just, yeah. I mean, literally just like, and Hog's like, I'm going to kill him, but I love him. <laughs> so we'll let it go this time. So you, you sort of, 
came up with Alex and Alex uh, as as we relaunched Bon Appetit from 2011 on and sort of g- gave it a new visual style and voice, both uh, both writing and visually. Um, and then when Michelle came aboard a couple of years ago, again, if you're going to compare this to sports, it's like all of a sudden you're playing for a different head coach. Got a new coach, yeah. Yeah. What was that transition like? And were you like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm a little wary of this. Mm-hmm. I think with... Pollock and Grossman, their main focus was on making me a better photographer and just like trying to guide me in the right way, uh, which is great. And it was like very formative. Once Michelle arrives, I was, uh, Michelle arrives, I was much more fine tuned. Yeah, like, you were kind of formed more already. More confident in my ability. So it was uh, more of a, okay, let's hit the ball, let's hit the ground running and like, let's just play. And more, it was very much more of a tight collaboration, yeah, which was great. And just like the way Michelle thinks is crazy, uh, and just amazing. But she just very much helped me make make me think in a different way when it comes to photography. She would like offer certain lighting or like certain ideas, and like my instinct would go, "That's weird," but then I would try it. And, oh, that's yeah. that's actually quite cool. I think it's interesting from my standpoint, just as you know, every month for the print magazine, we'll have a, a photo show. We'll look at the film for that month's issue and seeing your evolution under Michelle because you know she has a different eye than Alex and Alex um, but you know she used to edit uh, do the the food journal gather uh, so she has a particular aesthetic and it's been interesting to see like oh let's sort of expand Alex's sort of style and sure. like let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- let's you know let's see if we can do this let's push him over there and, and sort of like to see your growth has been fascinating and gets back to that thing of people not being one-dimensional is that mm-hmm. you know yeah you can have a look but you can also develop another look and a third look yeah. and, and and shoot on location and yeah. shoot in, in studio with different light and shoot all, yada yada so as an editor it's been really cool just seeing like wow like how versatile you become over the years yeah no i i really appreciate it too it's, it's just been a lot of like you know, rolling with the punches and like whatever challenge comes up, I, I, I say yes to it and take it. And I, I, I really do appreciate working with two different creative directors that think so differently because it's just like, yeah, it forces you to actually creatively push yourself and go a little bit beyond what you're comfortable with. Okay, so you can check out Alex's work in the October issue of Bon Appetit, which is our Hot 10 Best New Restaurants in America issue. Oh, speaking of which... We are going to be throwing a massive party slash rager slash bash uh, here in Brooklyn on Saturday, October 19th. Uh, All 10 restaurants will be represented, cooking, all sorts of amazing food, serving them drinks, uh, music, all that. It's going to be amazing. And you can buy tickets at BA Hot 10. That's BA Hot 10. BAHot10.com, and there's a bunch of events surrounding the Hot 10 Bash, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, cooking classes and such. Check that out, as well as part of our best weekend ever. Alex, I'll be there. I'll be there. All the editors of Bon Appetit will be there, so come hang with us. It's going to be awesome. All right, Alex, thanks so much. Thanks. See you guys there. Boz, you ready to do this? (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready. I have not looked at these. Okay. Do you prefer I start with one or ten? I think we should go from ten. I actually didn't order them in any particular order, but I think number one is really important, so let's start at 10. All right, so you kind of did, subconsciously. Yeah. Number 10, ooh, I like this. Three words, mise en place. Getting your SHT together before you start cooking is the ultimate way to set yourself up for smooth sailing. Yeah, I feel like one of the main reasons that home cooks struggle is organization in the kitchen and not knowing when to start prepping, 
when to start cooking, what they can be doing in the downtime, like inactive time versus active time in cooking. And so learning to get all of that stuff out of the way or as much as you can before you actually dive in allows you to focus on what you're doing and not be scatterbrained. And it's important to sort of clear your head. It's interesting that you mentioned timing with mise en place. But I think a lot of us would think of mise en place, which is French for... Put in place. You sure? Because you never went to culinary school. Do you know that? No, but I speak French. Mm. Oh, busted. Also, I heard you ragging on me on the podcast last week about culinary school. I wasn't ragging on I was throwing shade. Anyhow, so typically I think with mise en place, like that notion of like having all your your tools, your ingredients measured out in place in front of you. But you mentioned timing, which is interesting because I think a lot of us, myself included, will start a recipe, then you get halfway down. You're like, oh, this is going to has to sit for 45 minutes before I can do whatever to it. I didn't actually calculate that into my timing. Yeah, or like reading through a recipe first and seeing that maybe it calls for a cup of chopped parsley, but you're making a braise and you're not going to be adding that parsley until three hours later. So you don't need to do that part. You oh, don't need to mise yourself yeah, yeah, out yeah. in every element. So just kind of like thinking about the recipe as a whole. I like that a lot. All right, number nine. Resist the urge to constantly, oh man, this is me, to constantly stir, fiddle, peek at your food. If you're going for browning, undisturbed contact with the pan is imperative. So this is inspired by you. What? Um, in our broccoli bolognese video, um, when you were fidgeting with the sausage and moving it all around, and I was like, you need to step away from the stove because if we want the sausage to brown, we can't be touching it. Wow. Talk about throwing shade. Uh, shout it's out to important. shout out to Brock Bolo, but that is true. It's it's interesting where I will adhere to that concept. If I'm making a steak in a pan, like a good like dry aged steak in a skillet, I just I know just don't touch it. Let it go over medium high heat for like five minutes, and you'll de- develop that crispy, crusty mahogany bark. But with everything else, I'm always like moving it around and yeah, you fiddling. don't need to. Same for chicken thighs. If you're charring Brussels sprouts, if you're cooking a pork chop, if you're browning sausage, if you're looking to brown. Moving it around is kind of the opposite of Let that. Let it brown. Yeah. Number eight. Ooh. Desserts need salt just as much as savory foods do. Yeah. I feel like people sort of understand this, but I feel really strongly about seasoning my desserts. So I'm not talking about salty, sweet desserts. I'm not, I'm not talking about leaning into salt as like the flavor profile, but just that in order for a dessert to really taste like itself and taste really good, there has to be... A, at least a small amount of salt in there for your palate to register it. It was either on last week's podcast with Andy and Chris or yesterday's meeting. Where where were we making fun of you for oversalting everything? Or maybe it was a meeting <laughs> That's today. Like literally every day of every day. I think it was in, I think it was a meeting today with Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I think people have now certainly become much more accustomed to that with like salted caramel ice cream and salted chocolate chip cookies. So now you almost like expect it to have that little salty finish. Yeah, but I guess my point is that even if you're not going for that like salty sweet flavor profile, salt still needs to be there. Yeah, as a balancer. Yeah. Yeah, even if even if there aren't crystals of Malden on top, there should still yeah. be a little in the in the dough. Um, ooh, this is a long one. Number seven. Good kitchen feng shui is essential to enjoying cooking. If your flow isn't right, you'll never want to cook. Talk to me. So I've found that when I'm in kitchens that I'm not familiar with or other people's kitchens, and I have to sort of figure out where the measuring cups are and figure out where the cutting boards are and the skillets, and I don't know what my like workflow is going to be like, I feel very 
awkward in the kitchen. Yeah. And so I I spend a lot of time in my kitchen thinking about where everything should be so that it's optimized for like graceful cooking, which makes it that much more enjoyable and not so choppy. I think it also yeah, it needs to be a space you want to spend time in. I remember when we someone and I were living in a rental apartment for a bit and it was like a, a weird apartment that was kind of two studios put together sort of thing and there was like literally two galley kitchens combined so it was like this horseshoe counter where with cabinets on either side so if you were on one side of the horseshoe you couldn't see the person on the other side of the horseshoe that's insane and the lighting it's just like you just didn't want to be in there yeah and then um, you'll never cook. No, and so and we did not cook much when we were there. And then meanwhile, I'll be on like Instagram and I'll see someone like our former colleague Elena Sullivan, designer, and she's got this beautiful little like tiny kitchen, but it looks like oh everything everything's meant to be where exactly. it is. Exactly, yeah. and a nice window, and you're like oh I want to hang out there even if it's tiny. It's it's something that you can work on even if you can't like completely reconstruct your kitchen. You can think about what drawers you're putting things in. What are you most likely to reach for when you're at the stove versus at the counter and sort of like set yourself up that way. Yeah. Where to keep your rubber spatulas, where to keep your tongs, all those things. Exactly. Your little pot of salt. Emma just told me to not move my iced coffee around so much. Is that Emma? You don't, you don't, it's nice. Come it's really on. Nice. I bet Sounds the listener. Like Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> I bet the listener likes that. All right. Number six, kitchen towels are the best pot holders. I just hate those like wonky mitts. I don't understand who invented them, but they're just unnecessary. And kitchen towels that are folded up properly are the perfect insulator. And then they also double down as a cleaning surface cleaner. And um, you can take them on and off really easily because you're not actually putting them on. You're just holding them. Do you have a recommendation of what kind of kitchen towels to buy? Um, I just use those really standard restaurant side towels. So they're white cotton and they have either a red or a blue stripe down the middle. I think they sell them at Ikea, but you can also get them on Amazon in like big packs. I like the cotton woven kind, I guess. Woven might be the right word. What I don't like are the ones in the test kitchen here that have the stripe but are more of like a terry cloth. Oh, I think that they don't block the heat as well. Yeah. They get a little bit wetter. Yeah, I don't like those. Okay. Let's get rid of of all of them. Um, (laughs) Number five, cook a recipe more than once. Yeah. I didn't used to follow recipes, actually, until I worked at Bon Appetit, really. I mostly just cooked out of my own inspiration. Hold on. I'm going to have some espresso. Ice espresso. uh, Holding. Go ahead. And I realized, because now the only thing I do is create recipes that um, as I cook the recipes even that I create over and over again, they get better and better. And so as a novice cook or a home cook, if you can cook a recipe and then come back to it, you'll feel a certain sense of comfort with the recipe already. So you'll be able to pay attention to things that you weren't able to pay attention to initially. It's kind of like watching a movie more than once where you pick up on the details. I assume though some recipes are like a bad first date and you're like, yeah, we don't need to do that one again. I mean, if there's like a major snafu, maybe don't repeat it. But if you <laughs> thought it was like relatively tasty, cook it again. All right. Number four. If you're following recipes, cook to the indicator, not the time frame. Please explain. So everybody's kitchen is different. Everybody's stove is different. Everyone's oven is different. And we do a lot of testing in the test kitchen to provide time frames for everything that you're doing in the kitchen. So we'll say caramelize the onion for 25 to 30 minutes. But the fact of the matter is there's no way for us to really predict what's happening in your kitchen. And so 
after that, there'll be a comma and it will say in a recipe or until deeply golden brown and starting to turn black at the edges or whatever. And that's the real indicator that you need to pay attention to in a recipe because that's the visual goal that you should look for. And it doesn't really matter about the timing. Although I will say in print where there's a finite amount of space, I think sometimes that indicator gets cut and I'll say brown on each side, three to five minutes. And I've done that. I'm like, no, this needs like 20 minutes. Like if you're doing a big roast before braising, a lot of times it takes a long time to do a pork shoulder on all sides. And I'm like, that took so much more than 12 minutes. But whatever. Maybe that's just me. Sorry. Well, we should switch that and put the indicator in and take out the time. I think so. That's great. We're making changes here. <laughs> Number three. We're in the top three now, Buzz. Mm. You eat with your eyes. Always think about how the dish is going to look on the plate. The more beautiful it is, the more delicious it will taste. I think that's kind of a given, but... Not for the home cook, though. It's really important to pay attention to your plating. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to be busting out tweezers and little like squeeze bottles, but just being mindful of what serving dish you're choosing and how much negative space there is and like are you putting like a nice fresh tumble of herbs on top because every because you made like a beef stew and it's all very like drab and dark and that kind of thing just like excites your palate and it makes everybody more excited about eating and then it makes it taste better because you're all happy and stoked i agree 100 percent. i think it's one of those things we expect from a restaurant but yeah. then we don't necessarily adhere to that when at home and it's like well Sorry that your food doesn't taste as good. I came home the other day and Simone had made this like roast carrot salad. She roasted a bunch of multicolored carrots, put them on this beautiful vintage Italian platter, and then like chopped uh, pistachio on them, and then some chopped up cilantro mm. and a little dread. And you're like, it's just the the, the gold and the purple carrots. And I just I was like, wow. That's like I literally walked in the door and just said, wow. And she could have just roasted the carrots and just put them on a platter and you'd have been like okay eh, they're fine meh. yeah i'll eat Had them some carrots yeah. so anyways no I took, go the extra mile great point um there's only two left boss i'm okay with that and this is one i struggle with actually uh number two an oven thermometer is one of the most essential kitchen tools so everybody's oven runs a little bit differently and so even if you set your oven to 325 there's a good chance that it's actually running at 375 or even 275 which can make or break a recipe or the top tier of the oven might be 400 the bottom tier might be 300 yeah like, it's important to pay attention to your oven and know what the hot spots of your oven are and the way you can do that is by putting an oven thermometer and leaving it in the oven and when you set your when you preheat your oven to 350 open the door and Take a check of where your thermometer is at, and you'll get to know, oh, my oven tends to run 25 degrees hot, or the top part is hotter than the bottom part. So if I'm looking for browning, I'm going to put my skillet up there, yada, yada. I was I was wrestling with our oven thermometer the other day because the oven was clearly not getting hot when we were trying to make meatballs. And so I had the thermometer and kind of hooks into the rails on the racks, but then it fell off, and then I'm having tongs, and it's hot, yeah, they're and I'm trying to jankety. get them back on there, and I'm like, duh. Anyways, but the meatballs were good eventually. Oh, that's good. Thank God. Turn the oven up and put it on the top rack. <laughs> oh, look at number one. Molly Boz. Number one, salt is the number one reason your food doesn't taste as good at home as it does in a restaurant. I think it's true. Um, Obviously. I think some people say that it's fat. 
Some people say that restaurants put tons of butter in their food, but I don't think that's what it is. I think that most home cooks are scared of over-seasoning, and it's important, honestly, to over-season your food to understand where that threshold is, where it's properly seasoned. Um, And oftentimes, it's all there, and you followed a recipe, and there's so many elements, and it's like, why doesn't this taste phenomenal? And it's likely that you might need to eat add a little bit of salt. Do you think we subconsciously have a different saltometer when we go out to eat as opposed to when we're cooking at home? Do we just like expect the food to be saltier when we go out and that's fine? And when we're at home, we're just like, ooh, that would be too salty. You know? I feel like, yeah, well, I feel like you have like lower standards for your own food. And so then you settle for under seasoned food because you don't expect it to taste as amazing as it does when it's out at a restaurant. Well, it's funny. I was shooting a video the other day at Los Tacos Numero Uno over here on which just yeah, open just on Warren Street. There. There's a huge line. Yeah. Um, but I was eating like the pollo asada and the carne asada, and you're like, wow, this is, it wasn't salty to the point that I couldn't eat it, but I was like, this is so much more seasoned than if I had grilled chicken or steak at home and chopped it up to put it on a taco, like a little, you know, homemade taco situation. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Seasoning is huge, but you guys knew that already because you've seen my videos. You can check her out on YouTube, guys, the Bonapetit <laughs> YouTube channel. Check out Molly Boz, her work, her recipes, uh, her salty ways. Uh, thanks, Molly. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wartsman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.